welcome to the Mindful Living Podcast. I'm your host, Athea Davis. Are you ready to become the person everyone loves, including yourself? Imagine being filled with purpose, joy, and focused energy every single day. I guide kids to gain their inner calm and adults to spark their inner child. Each week, I will give you fun, practical, and relatable, mindfully infused inspiration, insights, and information that you can directly apply in your life, family, and school or business. So let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to Mindful Living with me, your host, Athea Davis. You are listening to episode 102, Lifelines, Struggling with Anxiety and Depression, with my special guest today, Melissa Bernstein. Okay, I'm going to go back in history a little bit, at least for me personally, because one of my favorite things to do when my now 15-year-old was one, two, maybe three, but definitely around one and two, is I think I had every wooden puzzle that Melissa and Doug made. We would hang out in his room and they were just, they were beautiful, all the beautiful colors and these chunky block, wooden blocks that were so easy as they, you know, the young people at that time, you know, are working on their pincer grasp and it, it was just, it was fun. And I remember it being creative and imaginative and I love these puzzles so much. I think I had every one of them. I felt like I had every one of them. I have since donated them to other young people at that age, one and two years old, three years old, something like that. But they just provided so much fun and creative play and joy in my son's life at that time and in my life as a parent as we would do them together, learning shapes and animals. So that was that was just so much fun. And, and it was such a joy and pleasure to be able to have Melissa Bernstein of Melissa and Doug on the show. We didn't talk about you know, we didn't dive too deeply into, you know, Melissa and Doug, the toy company, but we got to connect on a different matter on her struggle with anxiety and depression. And if you are listening to this episode now, as it goes live, you are in, we're in, in May and we've been over a year in the pandemic. If you're in education, it's been a crazy hard year, you are likely running on fumes, you're likely burnt at the edges, you're tired, and you should be. We've had a lot of stuff to navigate through. And I was so um, really grateful to be able to spend some time with Melissa Bernstein. And I'm going to dive into a little bit more about Melissa 
If you don't know about Melissa and Doug, if you didn't have those wooden puzzles like I did or any of the other amazing toys that they've created in their toy company, but I, again, I'll, I'll dive in a little bit more about Melissa here in a moment, but I was really grateful that I had the opportunity to talk about her personal struggle with anxiety and depression. What does that have to do with just being in a tough spot? It's been a hard year or school year, I should say. Well, you know, mental health, hello, emotional health, these things are super important to our overall health and well-being. I mean, they're foundational. And I think it's so, you know, important to share our story so we don't feel alone. Um, you know, I think, you know, I'm so bad at calendars and like certain days, like this day is National Ice Cream Day or, you know, mental, I think May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think, oh my gosh, I should know this. And I, I should know this before I record the intro to this episode, but I'm pretty sure. It should be every month because it's something that we struggle with as a, as our you know human race or human population. And the more that we come together and talk about our own personal struggles, we might find a little light of truth in someone's struggle, and that may inspire and empower us to take on living in a new way that's more healthy and more vibrant. Let me tell you a little bit more about Melissa and then I want you to, well, let me do this first. Let me switch that. We uh, want to tell you about what we talked about and then I'll tell you a little bit more about Melissa and then I'm just going to stop talking now and then have you dive into the episode because it's so good. So we talked about Melissa's entrepreneurial journey as the co-founder of the successful toy company, Melissa and Doug. We talk about her personal struggle with anxiety and depression and her new book, Lifelines, and her online resource community, also called Lifelines, and so much more. I know you're going to gain a lot of value out of this. If you yourself are not personally struggling with anxiety and depression, I have no doubt you probably know someone who is, whether it's a student you know, a friend of yours, a colleague, you know, your own, your own child, you probably know someone close to you that is. And perhaps this episode, you can forward it to them and they can give it a little, uh, you know, give it a listen and, you know, gain a little bit of hope and inspiration and empowerment out of someone else's story. All right. So a little bit about Melissa. So Melissa Bernstein, along with her husband, Doug, is the co-founder of the toy company, Melissa and Doug, which has created over 5,000 children's products and sold billions of dollars of toys since its inception. Raised by educators, Melissa and Doug started the business in their garage in 1988, and they've been on a mission ever since to provide open-ended inventive, non-technologically driven playthings for young children. By the way, y'all, I love how things start in the garage and grow big and bright. <laughs> so kudos to you, Melissa and Doug. Throughout Melissa's remarkable career, she kept secret her lifelong battle with severe depression and anxiety. She reveals her struggles in Lifelines, her first book, which she wrote to help others who are also suffering. Melissa's book heralds the launch of Lifelines.com, an online ecosystem she and Doug are underwriting to support those seeking support, 
guidance, and community on their mental health journeys. Melissa lives in Connecticut with Doug and their six children. All right, you guys, I am so excited for you to, uh, you know, listen to our conversation Um, again. You know anyone that is struggling with anxiety and depression, please forward this episode to them and have them give it a listen. You are listening to episode 102 here on Mindful Living with Athea Davis, Lifelines, Struggling with Anxiety and Depression with my special guest today, Melissa Bernstein. I hope you enjoy our chat and I will see you on the flip side. Well, I want to welcome you, Melissa, to Mindful Living with Athea Davis. So excited to have you on the show today. Athea, I'm so happy to be here. Yes. I can't wait. So, so much to talk about, but I love to start when I have guests on this show a little bit about your journey. So I would like for you to dive into your entrepreneurial journey. You were also raised by educators, which is Awesome sauce. I think I have an audience full of educators. And so I, I want to tease some things out here. You've founded a very successful toy company, Melissa and Doug. And I know when my my now 15-year-old, when he was younger, we I think we had almost every wooden uh, puzzle that existed on the Melissa and Doug line. So those were a favorite of ours. I mean, you've sold billions of dollars of toys to inspire the imagination of young people. So walk us through your journey. How did your parents impact this journey? Why a toy company? You started in a garage and now you have a book out. We're going to get to your book later. So let's just start with a little bit of snippet of your journey um, from that point until now. Sure. Wow. That's a deep one. Yeah. You know, Doug (laughs) likes to say that we conceived a business out of wedlock because (laughs) we started our company when we were just dating. Mm -hmm. So we were literally um, boyfriend and girlfriend for about three years when we decided to sort of step off society's treadmill and do something that brought us real joy. Mm -hmm. And I think when we thought about what we wanted to do, immediately we both said it had to involve children. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, both of his parents are educators, an elementary school principal and a guidance counselor. And my mother taught gifted children and my dad was in educational publishing. Wow. So you are founded by educators. It was sort of already destined that it would involve children. And we love children. And we thought if we're going to spend, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week doing something, it has to involve a group of people we can really impact the lives of. And children, were, you know, we, we both knew it had to be children. I love that. What, what's your you in the direction of focusing on a toy company versus the myriad other things that you could do to impact children? Was there something yeah. like maybe you guys grew up loving or <laughs> what was the spark in that, uh, in that idea? It was. And I think like many of the things we did, you know, it was a bit just the moment and things we were talking about. And I think when we thought about children, we thought about all kinds of businesses. We thought about a school mm-hmm. that could really focus on like life skills. We thought about programs that we could do to, this was before the internet, <laughs> to allow students to learn about colleges without going there because there was no internet. Yeah. And we also thought about products that could impact their lives. And I think when we 
thought back to our childhoods, we had very few toys, you know, both of us, Mm -hmm. but I think those playthings we had that sort of were the catalyst for imagination were really important to us. And we talked about our books and our stuffed animals and some of our like wooden blocks and our um, building sets, like those were the products that we played with again and again and again, and they had that timeless appeal. And when we looked at the market then in the eighties, you know, it was still very much about sort of non-open-ended toys. It was a lot of battery-powered, loud, noisy mm-hmm. uh, toys that were that were bombarding the kids with stimuli, stimuli, not allowing sort of their imaginations to just unleash. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm so grateful you went with that idea, particularly as a parent. As I said, you know, my son, I, I think we had every wooden puzzle that you guys mm-hmm. had in your line. And certainly they still to this day, I can recall such positive memories spending time with my one year old, you know, at the time, two year old, uh, you know, putting the puzzles together and having thank such you. fun. So thank you for spreading that joy mm-hmm. in, in my kids life and my life. You know, by what you shared, you have all the trappings of a successful life. You were married, you, you're both of your parents, professionals, went to college, had, you know, steeped in education. Uh, You guys started a very successful toy company. And yet you have still have found some struggle in those successes through um, your struggles with anxiety and depression. And I would love for you to talk about, because I think, you know, oftentimes we think, oh gosh, if I get that thing, I, I may, I create this company. I won't have these issues anymore. I will, you know, life will just be great and amazing and joyous. Oh, if I get through graduate school, or if I get into college, or we're trying to get somewhere and we get to that point, And then we realize perhaps, hmm, it's not what I thought. So mm-hmm. I would love to hear your take on that. Yes. I'm so glad you bring that up because just tonight we, we do these really cool workshops for our ecosystem lifelines.com. And tonight we're actually doing the feudal race which is one of the volumes in my book and is the issue that plagued me the most throughout my life and still does. The hardest thing for me to do is to stop racing towards something Mm. that I never attain. And I think, you know, I have achieved in every respect, the American dream in every respect. You know, I have um, my best friend that I'm married to and has been my partner for 30 years. And like, we have a great relationship. Yeah, I have a company that's still growing after 32 years, and we we sell millions and millions of toys a year. I have six children who are, you know, just wonderful. But I think, you know, I was born with something called existential depression. So the truth is, it preceded any of my shiny baubles, yeah. and it will... Um, it will be around after those shiny baubles disappear. You know, it is who I am in my chemical makeup. And I think sometimes we think that if you attain these measures of success, that your your chemical makeup will change. Mm. But the truth is it, it doesn't unless you really fill yourself from the inside out. And I think I was racing outside to fill my inside and you can never, you know, collect enough things on the outside to feel an emptiness within. 
Oh, that's so powerful that you were that, that statement. I was racing towards something outside, trying to fill myself up on the inside, but it wasn't working. And I think a lot of those that may be listening may identify and resonate with what you're saying. And we are still within a pandemic. It has been an interesting time of being forced to slow down and reckon, perhaps many conversations I've had of reckoning with this very thing, this very topic we're talking about. Oh, wow. I was racing towards going to all these events and racing towards, you know, accomplishing this. And I didn't realize how empty I was inside when I started mm-hmm. slowing down. So for you, what did that process look like when you real, was it like a light bulb moment? Was it a series of things where did, was it a book or a practice where you said, you know what, I, I'm not going to do this racing towards externally anymore. I'm going to go inward and kind of, I like to call it tuning into the awesome sauce, but you may have a different <laughs> way of saying it. So. Yes, we call it, I call it the journey to inner space because yeah. that's what it, what it took for me was this journey inward. And I think, you know, I think we race outside when either a couple of things for me, it was the existential despair, that feeling of nothingness mm-hmm. that existed deep in my soul that I was so terrified of that I that I created a contrived activity constantly to avoid feeling that sense of utter futility toward life. Mm. And I think with others, they face and experience so many traumas throughout their lives that they repress and they don't want to feel those feelings. And they're trying to push down the feelings of those traumas. So they're distracting themselves with the racing. So I think it can arise from a few different things. And for me, it was actually both. It was not only the futility to our life, but it was also some traumas I felt from childhood. So it was the combination and I was like, not going there. And what happened is that racing, because when you're racing away from everything you are and everything you're feeling, it ultimately only leads to one thing, utter Mm -hmm. and complete exhaustion. And That is why I now see that it's called a midlife crisis because Mm. we don't get utterly exhausted past the point that we can put up the barricade anymore until we're middle age. And I think it's then that finally the facade that we've put up our whole lives begins to crack. And that's sort of what started to happen to me. I mean, I had a few dots connect and I started to see that all these qualities in myself that I had been racing away from my whole life were actually the very same qualities that gave me the ability to create and were actually my blurs, my blessing and my curse. Blurs. And when I started to see them as not just a curse, as also a blessing, mm-hmm. because creating is my salvation and the best feeling in the world, when I saw that it was those qualities that I had tried to kill my whole life that gave me the ability to create, I started to see them slightly differently. And it was the first Mm -hmm. time I said, huh, maybe these weird, you know, qualities that, that society kind of rejects are truly my, my ikigai, my reason for being my, my Mm -hmm. joie de vie. So uh, that started to happen. And then I also saw that this feeling of life's utter futility and the absurdity of existence actually had a name too. And it was called existential despair, existential angst. Mm -hmm. And that 
I was afflicted with something that others had also been afflicted with as well. And I think when I started to see that I had something that others had also shared, and I saw that I wasn't the only one on the planet because I grew up thinking I was utterly alone and no one would ever understand or accept the real me, um, that leaves you really despondent. But once I saw that, no, I have a condition that's actually written about. I mean, it's not diagnosed. It's not in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, but it is a known condition. It, it, it made it like I could breathe for the very first time. You know, we're, some of the things that you're sharing, is that what you're referring to when you say like society rejected some of those things, but those were the things that actually fueled your creativity? What, what society rejected is more my whole personality, which to have existential despair, you also have what's called overexcitabilities, which are an, a heightened reactivity in your central nervous system, which makes your sensitivity to life much more acute than some other people. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm really emotional, like both the, the beauty of the pain and the despair of the world, I'm sorry, the beauty of the world and the despair of the world are impossible for me to bear. And you know, it also makes me very intellectual. I'm always asking why, and I'm always have to know why. And for people who don't care about the why, like, it's like, stop asking why, like, who cares? Like when I was in class, Mm -hmm. I would always be like, wait, can you repeat that? I need to hear that again. And of course, most students don't want to repeat the same question. Right. Um, You know, so it makes all my sensory um, reactivity really heightened. And whenever showed that to anyone accidentally, even, um, you know, I was rejected. And, you Mm -hmm. know, even at age five, I wrote a verse, uh, please hinder the noise. I've lost track of the joys. I can't hear anymore with this deafening roar. I can't see anymore with this staggering light. I can't breathe anymore with this stifling fright. So it was like, everything was like tuned up. So I would always have to cover my eyes or cover my ears or, you know, didn't want to be touched because people's touches like just uh, were yeah. too, too electric for me. So I think it's living in a body that feels so uh, alien and that it's from another planet. You know, so interesting as a, an empath, I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm a highly attuned and sensitive person. So I'm very, very, it can be overwhelming. Um, to be around big groups of people, for instance, uh, because you, there's a level of um, emotion that you sense that perhaps isn't being said. So and the piece that you read, wow, that was really beautiful. Uh, thank thank you. you for sharing that. I, I just, you know, I want to kind of go back in time a little bit because you said, you know, uh, this is my chemical makeup. This is how I was born. Is this something that, and you talked about it even at five, you know, having that struggle, how did you navigate this as a young child, as, you know, going through your teen years and growing up, what were some of the things that you were doing or were you not as aware of it the way you are now? That's an awesome question. Sadly, what I ended up doing were two, sort of two paths. One, when I could, 
I just retreated to my imagination and made up a fictitious world that was the world I wanted to be in. Mm -hmm. And I had imaginary friends. I made up like this perfect place. And I just lived in this utter bliss of the boundless expanse of imagination. Um, But unfortunately, I couldn't go there, you know, when I had to be down on earth. And then I really ended up repressing, denying, and disassociating from Mm. every single thing I felt and clinging on to perfectionism and validation as my method of acceptance. And that became extremely damaging because, you know, perfectionism is impossible to attain. And unfortunately, ultimately, I couldn't attain it. And, And I wanted perfection in my looks, behavior, and performance. Wow. So, and I, I failed in all of them ultimately and crashed. I, I literally had a complete breakdown. What torture, um, you know, when you, when you think you like that standard, that perfectionism and, and is one too, that has, you know, had that relationship with that for some kind of perfectionism, I can relate. And I personally know it is a very torturous place to be. You know, that, that race, like, I'm going to get it and you just can't. And you just yeah. beat yourself up until you're almost like bloody dead. Yeah. And perfectionism lives in the head. Yeah. There is nothing about perfection that's in the heart. And I realize now, you know, I have had a battle my whole life between my head and my heart. And my head has always wanted to take me down. You know, my head, my, my existential depression was a demon in my head that basically said, end your life. It's futile. There is no point in living. You will never make meaning. And my heart just wanted to create. My heart was like, but I just want to create. I love creating. I'm so happy when I create. And my head was like, nope, you can't be happy. I'm going to deny this body all pleasure because Mm -hmm. life is futile. So I think, you know, imperfection was squarely in my head. Mm -hmm. And perfection was a, a, a attainment I could never achieve. Because you can never be perfect all the time. Being human is imperfect. Indeed. You know, what did you find helpful? Was it therapy, medication, um, alternative healing modalities, a mix of all three? Great question. So ultimately, I mean, I never admitted this. I repressed it to such an extent that, you know, it wasn't until uh, my middle age that I even started to understand this. I really adopted a facade and it pretty much took me through my whole my whole adult life mm-hmm. uh, until that racing became so exhausting that I knew. And also, I started hearing the cry of my soul to be seen authentically. It was like getting louder and louder and louder. And it was saying, like, I want to be seen as I truly am. And I saw that I was, you know, creating all these beautiful, light, vibrant toys but really what fueled it was this dark despair. And I wanted that to be seen. I wanted people to see the person behind these toys as being a real person that had a full spectrum of emotion. So my path ultimately took two, two uh, legs, I guess you'd say two, yeah. two roots. Um, one was psychotherapeutic and really this journey inward to finally understand how to feel because I never experienced any emotion other than great, perfect, good. Uh, Because my whole life, anything that wasn't shiny was imperfect and I couldn't be imperfect. So I never learned how to feel. I never learned how to be tired. I never learned how to be sick. 
no matter what I had, if I had pneumonia, I still would fight through it. Like I would never be in bed no matter what, because anything that took me down was imperfect. So I had to learn how to be human and how to accept everything I felt and everything I was, all those qualities that I viewed as stigmatizing were who I was. So the path to self-acceptance came from psychotherapy. However, the path to meaning came from philosophy. So I took a psychotherapeutic path for self-acceptance. I took a philosophical path on my own to meaning. And that really came through studying the wisest philosophers of our time who pondered these questions of existence and meaning long before I and figured out really beautiful answers that resonated well with me. Wow. I love that. I'm a huge fan of therapy myself. Um, and I love philosophy as well. I'm super curious, Melissa, do you practice any kind of meditation or mindfulness or yoga or all three? So, yeah. So what I ended (laughs) up having to do, I didn't do anything. And again, and I didn't even admit I needed therapy till my late forties when I finally, because therapy meant I wasn't perfect. So it was part of my whole it was like I mean, several therapy. years ago, I, I would have said the same thing. Like when I had to admit, I, I went through a prior divorce and I remember thinking like, oh, I have to talk to someone that meant that I'm not perfect and something is wrong with me. It was yes. devastating. So I totally yes. get how hard it is to even just say, I need help. It was the hardest thing. And it was in my moment of breakdown, I was like, I can't do it anymore. I need help. And it it was literally, I said those exact words. And I was like, I, and I knew that that journey would, I could never do it on my own. I knew it was going to be, because I had been racing away from those, that demon for so long, like to face it would have, and it would have like, thank goodness I did have someone. Cause when I finally did have to do that, it was, it was not an easy, not an easy path. So, so your, your partner and your kids, have they been really supportive through the process? They really have. You yeah. know, I think uh, that's the thing. Like everyone was supportive. It was really I who was wearing the mask, you know, and, and was denying who I was. So I think it was really myself that had to change. No one else. Yeah. Like when I changed, everyone else was, was happy to change along with me. But, but I was the one putting up all the, the fight you know, and making myself exhausted. So what I had to do once I accepted that, wow, Melissa, you are a full spectrum of emotion from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Mm -hmm. And I knew that because I um, am a creative and I have this highly sensitive personality that every day would not be bliss, especially now that I was accepting everything I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And I chose to do this holistically. You know, I was choosing to, because my creativity is so important to me, I wouldn't be here without it. I was terrified of doing anything to, you know, dampen that is just so pure and and flows so freely. Mm -hmm. So I said, I won't be able to remain safe and sane unless I have a really rigorous, deliberate practice every single day to remain equanimously in the middle. So I developed what I call my backpack of lifelines okay. because it's literally something I have to strap on every single day because 
I can go really below the line very easily and potentially not come back up. Well, what's in the backpack? (laughs) Yeah. So it's three, it's three sections. Okay. The first is self-care because for me, as someone who denied myself all pleasure for much of my life, you know, I had what I call pleasure anorexia, which is not only denying yourself food, it's denying yourself any form of pleasure. And it was bad. Like I would not allow myself anything. So self-care for me was never something I had on my list. In fact, indulgence of any sort was, was off the list. Mm-hmm. So it's simple things for many, but for me, self-care is making sure I sleep enough because I tend to not sleep, especially when I'm creating and that can be bad after a few days. Yeah. Um, it's eating, you know, healthy balanced meals that like make my body strong. Mm-hmm. It's exercising. It's taking care of myself because when you're, you know, a depressed person, you can go for days sometimes without showering or changing your clothes and just, you don't care about anything. And yeah. those little things that seem so little, if you can get up and get, take a shower you know, it makes you just feel more optimistic about yourself and about life. So it's those type of things. Then the middle prep, the middle is tools and tools are things that I've had to really learn through the years to help support me. Things like mantras, you know, I recite my own, my verses are my lifelines and I have thousands of them and I have one for every um, anything you can imagine. And they're all, I all, I know them all by heart. So my one every day is step on out of the head, moving into the heart, free to channel all dread into jubilant art. And that is my, my main mantra. Cause it's like, get out of the head, get into the heart quickly and yeah. channel it all out from there. So um, it's mantras, it's mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not the best and I resisted meditation because my head is so busy for a long time, but mindfulness became a beautiful practice for me in anything I'm doing. I just become present mm. and it really is very powerful for me, especially simple things like brushing your teeth. When you're always thinking, don't think just brush your teeth and feel yourself brushing your teeth. I love so mindfulness. I love that you just said that you could practice it. So a lot of people might think that you have to sit for long periods of time to be mindful, but you can be mindful doing anything, anytime, anywhere. (laughs) And I do it all the time because it's so hard for me that I need to make it. Um, And every time I'm mindful, I forget about my head. You know, it's it's like amazing. And it's a couple practices from my own journey that I have to do every day. And one of them is to allow, that's one of the journey, allow everything I'm feeling because sometimes when I'm feeling a a negative feeling, I immediately start to judge myself and berate myself. Mm. So I have to sit there and say, allow, allow, just let it roll on by. And I have an exercise called be the sky where I'm the sky and the negative feeling is just a dark cloud moving on by. So I like become the sky, you know, and I do this every day as part of my tools. And then the other one is of course, offering myself compassion, which is something else I never did. So when I'm get angry or I do something as out of a trigger, instead of getting angry at myself, I try to remember that inner child, that wounded child that that felt a certain way, which is why I react in a certain way and offer that child compassion. So that's part of my tools and everybody has their own tools. And then the third, the third section, which is the most fun yeah. and the best is passions and play. Oh, and those yeah. 
are the activities, hobbies that bring you out of your head and purely in your heart. And those are the things, but you have to do them very deliberately or you can get very caught up in the minutia and responsibility and burden of life. So I have to be very deliberate about, you know, things like walking in nature with Doug, which is one of my favorite things in the Mm, world about listening to music, beautiful music that like elevates my vibrational frequency, Um, writing verses, which I love. And I can sometimes not do if I'm too focused on all the other stuff I have to do. I love drinking tea. I usually have it right now. Um, I love that more than anything. And I try to do it like three times a day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a whole bunch of practice, practiced uh, passions and play that bring you in your heart where you feel utter bliss. I love this conceptual framework that you're putting your backpack on. You know, I I have this um, affirmation and art card deck for youth. And one of the art cards that I have, it's actually a backpack, but I call it on the backpack. It says love pack. And it says, put your love pack on and go for an adventure. So the idea when I'm working with students, I'm a mindfulness educator. So I'm having them go for an adventure from the inside out. But so that made me think of that card, but I love the pockets in your backpack, you know, that you have. And again, I just want to quickly review for those listening that you have your self-care, you have your tools, and then you have your passion and play. And I, I love it. And I stand by everything you just said. I teach all of these things. And I'm so curious because one of the hardest things, um, sometimes for me, the passion and play as much as I love the awesome sauce, the energy and all that, I can get like really rigid and sort of where I am aiming towards. And I remember this the other day having to say, I have to be very intentional. Let's create some play today. And so with the kids I was working with, we were doing like a yoga dance, you know, the Footloose song. So there's a book that illustrates animals doing the Footloose and it was a lot of fun. These were younger K through second grade kids. And we created these yoga shapes out of the moves that they were doing in the book. And we did the classical, you know, foot moves with Footloose. And there was a song, not, it's based on the Footloose song. We had so much fun. And I mentioned this very specifically because I could feel, I could sense like something just feels like, oh, you know, that like just dread or I need something else. And if I need that, I bet the kids do too. And everything shifted from just doing that one little thing, you know, like the magic door opened up. So I'm so curious, what do you notice about yourself when you realize I need play right now, do you, is it a feeling um, like a certain emotion? Yes. What's happening internally for you? Because I want people listening to really, I, to work with identifying that for themselves. Cause oftentimes we'll go for a long period of time, sometimes a long time. This is why like a lot of people have burnout and the professions yes. that they're in they they're just not in tune with the fact that I just need more play so I can open that creativity door. Yes, I love that. And one other thing, our backpack, by the way, is called the inward and onward backpack. I love it. You said it's from the inside out. Yes, yes. I love so, it. Yeah, I mean, it's very simple. When you don't have play in your life, you start to feel tremendous anxiety and you start to feel 
uh, despair and you start to hear that head in your, that, that, that voice in your head telling you negative things. Mm. And I start to hear that mind voice starting to tell me bad things. I know something is very wrong because so for that's me, a signal. It's like, Oh, my yep. voice is clearly very unkind right now. And that's your flag. Like alert, alert, alert. I need it's, to say. It's also my body. I start yeah. to feel. So my vibration, I think of my vibration on a circle mm-hmm. and that it's the vertical line and the center of it is sort of equanimous in the middle. And when I feel my anxiety start to, I feel stress in my shoulders. I feel my heart start to, to brace and I feel myself breathe, breathing very shallowly. Mm. I'm like, I'm like barely breathing. I'm sort of holding my breath. Got it. That's when I know that my anxiety level is starting to, to rise and I'm getting more in my headspace. And interestingly, when I was at my lowest period in my entire life in college, it was because I had untethered from any sort of passion and play that brought me in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I was 100% in my head, only pursuing validation uh, socially and academically in my head. And wow. I realized that was the moment that I was closest to, very close to ending my life. And I realized because there was absolutely no joy in my life. And I had completely disassociated from anything that brought me true joy, which is always in the heart. So I think yeah. we have to do this every single day. And I'm telling college students, like they need to go to college with their backpacks on yes. um, their, their, their self-care, you know, and, and practice backpacks uh, because otherwise it's very easy. Our ego tries to pull us out from our heart into our head and make it all about our head. So we actually like, it's crazy that it's, it happens this way, but we have to fight our entire lives against our head to be equanimous, which Mm -hmm. is why it has to be a deliberate practice. And what I tell everyone is the most important time to practice your practice is when things are perfect. Yeah. Because if you think, oh, things are good now, I don't need a practice, it takes too much time, it's kind of annoying to engage in self-care and the tools, I don't need the tools now. What then happens is when you fall below the line, on those days that I have that I, you know, sometimes I wake up and you know how you wake up and you're like, Ooh, I'm feeling good. It's going to be a good day. Yeah. I have days that I wake up and I'm like, uh Oh, something isn't right today. And, and I'm yeah. already crying. Like even before I get out of bed, like sometimes I wake up so low, I don't even know what's been going on in the middle of the night, but I feel very heavy. And if you feel that heavy and you haven't honed your practice ahead of time, there's not a chance you're going to be pulling that backpack you know, out of the closet and kind yeah. of dusting it off and putting it on. It's going to be too late. So yes. now, yeah, when I have a low day, I'm, it's already on. I'm like, okay, honey, what am I pulling out of you today? I love that you underscore the importance of keeping the consistency and building that habit of, of doing the training, like the mind training. You never know when you're going to need it. But man, when you do and that day comes, you've been training, right? Um, air quotes I'm using. So those that are, you know, listening that you've been training and you're like, okay, I, 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 I have some tools I can pull out right now to help me navigate this challenge. And, and I just, again, want to underscore the importance of this play piece. You were saying uh, you were at one of your lowest points were just so focused academically 
again, like I, 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 I can very much identify with what you're saying because I am very much, I was named after Athena, goddess of war and wisdom. So mm-hmm. I very much get into my intellectual play in a sense, but it can be too much, not enough in the heart. And I'm like listening and reading and looking at this lecture and I, and and I don't even listen to the song of my heart yes. anymore. Yes. And and it becomes very clear because I can see I become rigid. I be, it's like I so I know like I need to listen to music. I need to get out yes. my colors, my my zentangles, whatever it is that I'm working on yes. and just play. So I love that. It, it is so important and I'm I love that you're reminding college students too to put their pack on. And you know what? Someone the other day said to me, but I love to think. And that's all I want to do. I don't want to play. I want to just think. And I said, that's awesome that you love to think. And in one sense, if it's the right side of your brain, not the rigid side, in a way that can be connected to passion and play. But still, if you're in your head too much, you will burn out and you will overload. It's not the same thing. I'm like, you still have to do things that are in your heart that so and let true. your mind, let your mind just be at ease. And I don't know if you find it when I allow my, my mind to be at ease and I'm in my heart, like I come up with the most amazing ideas. That's exactly what I was going to say. And it reminds me of a book. I don't know if you're familiar with Adam Grant's work, but he wrote a book called Originals. And I love that book because he talks about the importance of how all these disciplines, why it's important, why people that are creative dab in all these different disciplines, play in all these disciplines, because that's where they come up with their most creative ideas. And in fact, if you just stop thinking for a while and put yourself in a new environment, a new context, listening to music, playing Frisbee, I, whatever, it, it could just be anything, you, you know, could perhaps in that moment make a connection to whatever you've been working on and thinking through. I think if we look back, we know numerous stories of scientists and professionals just working through really big problems. And when they've taken a break and they've played in some way, whether it's having a cup of tea or cooking or getting their fingers dirty and finger paints and painting, that then their mind begins to get to wonder and then they start making those connections. So it actually optimizes your thinking. So the play optimizes it. So anybody out there that's like, you know, type A, like I just love my intellectual thinking time. This is really important. That's awesome. We want you to keep that. And at the same time, when you allow yourself to play, you can optimize your thinking time and go even deeper. Also, so by the way, Originals is on my top, maybe 10 (laughs) book list of all time. So yay. Awesome. Also uh, Adam Grant's other book, Give and Take. I love that book too. Yeah. Um, But believe it or not, I think to a T, the most incredible discoveries were always made when the person wasn't actually working on the discovery. Yes. Yes. It's always because you need... Innovation is about making connections between seemingly disparate topics. Exactly. So you have to draw parallels among so many different forces in nature and, um, and, and, and topics that don't seem to uh, be, be similar. So I think it's really, really important to allow your curiosity to span all over the place and to also just expose yourself to so many different things. I love that. You know, okay, 
so you have a book. I want to transition here. And what's interesting, so your book is called Lifelines. I, so I'm a mindfulness educator. And at my school, we have a whole class called Lifelines. And it's, it, it, it's there for middle school students and above to really have the time and opportunity to tune in in different ways. So great segue to talk about lifelines and why this book, why now, tell us about it and what do you want people to get from your book? And I want you to also please share this story that you were sharing right before we were officially recording about, um, well, I'll just, you know, that was just a flag, just a little flag for you sure. to remember to share that story. So I guess three questions in one, you titled it Lifelines. Tell us about yes. the book and why, why now? Uh, what do you want people to get from the book? And you recently had a really inspiring story and I would love for you to share yes. with listeners. So Lifelines has become not only the name of my book, but also the name of this ecosystem that is so much bigger than the book. So it's called Lifelines because I write these verses and I was always so ashamed of them because they were very simple and very dark and despairing. So I thought, uh, and I hid them away from the world and never showed them to anyone until I wrote this book and I had over 3000 of them hiding away in the darkness that had never seen light. So it was really my bid to show that part of myself that I had hid away from the world for so many years in hopes that my having the courage to show myself and my vulnerability would allow others to show their true selves as well. So that really is Lifelines, the book. Um, but Lifelines, the ecosystem is, is even bigger because there are three sort of reasons that Doug and I, and Doug and I are, by the way, doing our second um, adventure together in this. Nice. And he is right by my side and, and we are funding this entirely ourselves. So everything we're offering is entirely free, awesome. um, but it's based on three sort of core uh, ideas. One is to show others they're not alone mm. because having grown up feeling so different and so stigmatized from society and feeling like no one would ever accept me or I'd ever belong in any form or fashion. I never wanted others to feel that way uh, mm -hmm. either. And I really want this community to be so warm and welcoming and say, you know, you're, you're, you're part of us to anyone who comes to us, which I think we're doing pretty effectively so mm -hmm. far. The second and most important probably is you know, I am so fortunate that I took this profound darkness that that definitely threatened to submerge me and, and channeled it into light. And I believe that we all have the capacity to channel our darkness into light and find meaning. Um, I think just sometimes that, you know, we all have these beautiful seeds of self-expression in our souls. I just think sometimes because of our life circumstances, because of tragedies, because of traumas, because of responsibilities, our, our sparks get dampened um, from all those layers that we yes. put upon them. And it's just about removing all those layers that have, have been settling on top of it and allowing our sparks to, to kindle into a bonfire with yes. humanity. And then the third is so many of us are in the feudal race outside ourselves for mm -hmm. the answer or for someone else to, to give us the validation we need. 
it's not until we make the choice to stop racing and make that inward journey to self-acceptance mm. that we truly find fulfillment and can rest in peace. And I think that journey that I finally took um, took me way too long. You know, I was middle-aged before I took it and I wanted to offer that journey on the center as the centerpiece of our ecosystem mm -hmm. to allow others to take it um, much earlier than I have and hopefully find their self-acceptance decades sooner. I love that. I love that. Um, love that, that conceptual framework you just shared about lifelines and the meaning of it and what you hope others will take away from it. And recently lifelines has landed in someone's hands. And I would love for you to share a story uh, that you shared with me prior to uh, really officially hitting record. Uh, would you mind sharing for just a couple of minutes no. about, yeah, it's, it's so, so great. And I love, you know, um, many times I'm in conversations with such a variety of people. And one of the things I hear often is how, you know, how we elevate each other is through the stories and, and how the stories of impact. And so this was such an impactful story and I was really inspired by it. I would love for you to share with our listeners. Sure. And I think, you know, I'm finding a healing that I never knew possible because I'm able to touch people as I truly am for the first time in my life. And I think there's nothing more powerful. And that is what was missing. That is my meaning that was missing my whole life. So I have been getting so many beautiful letters from people, I think, who are now having the courage to share their story because I've been so brutally honest. Mm. And I received a note just the other day from someone who is the head of a substance abuse program for women at a women's prison. Mm -hmm. uh, in the middle, middle of the country. And he wrote me the most beautiful letter. And he said that the women got a copy of the book and have been sort of fighting for it because the verses have been so uplifting and so inspiring to them. Mm -hmm. And he's written me a few times. The first time he said, would you be able to send them some of your favorite verses? So I write them every day. And the ones in the book are already like six months, you know, past. Yeah. So I picked out like 10 new ones and I sent them 10 new ones. And then he wrote me back and he said, this is so incredible. Um, they're, they're sharing them. They're, they're writing them. And he showed me a photo where they had written my verses. I'll get emotional on the windows of their, their classroom. Mm. And they were on every single window oh my and goodness. to see those words, um, you know, written on the windows as inspiration to women who he said are so broken and have no confidence and like all their hope is gone. He said, there's no, there's no greater gift. So the other wow. day I recorded a video message for them trying to tell them that of course our lives are not the same. And I'm sure they've suffered so many more tragedies than I, but I have also been to a very low place where all hope was gone in my eyes mm -hmm. and there is light and they can find it. And, you know, just for them to know that I'm like right by their side um, every, every step they go. I love that story. It gave me chills and, and I really thank you for sharing. And, and I wanted the listeners to hear because it takes courage to be where you are and be open and vulnerable and authentic and honest. And when we're in that place, it's so meaningful. And you, 
and, and, and anyone else that ex- has experienced being in that vulnerable place, you know, like that true connection of love. Yes. It, when we talk about that word love that, you know, we're like, what is that? That right there. That's what I think about when I think of love is that when we can show I, up. Yeah, go ahead. Can I say one other thing too? I think one of the things that I really want to show others is that you can have a mental affliction mm. and you can still have days that are really low, but with your practice, if you have a deliberate practice and you accept yourself and allow what you're feeling, you can still live a beautiful, bountiful, joy-filled life. It doesn't mean mm. every day will be blissful and every day of mine is not blissful yeah. and I need a practice and there are days that are still low, but I'm so glad I chose life. I'm so glad I'm here. And I want others to know that they too can find joy through despair. I love that, that the two, the two can exist together. Yes. That, yes, definitely. The two can exist together. I know oftentimes we think that it has to be one or the other, but yep. the you, you know, that is part of the human experience. You know, your despair might look different than mine or someone's that is in prison, but we're connected through that together and that through elevating each other and sharing our story, um, we can find that joy. And, and we're all the same, you know, so many people who feel they don't deserve to be despairing. I'm getting a lot of those, like, my story is not that bad. Like, I don't Mm. deserve it. Look at her or look at him. And I say, your despair is your despair. If it was a trauma to you, it's the same as a trauma that someone else shared. Like, don't deny yourself the feeling of the feeling because it's that that brings us the despair even more despair thank you for underscoring that too and and I am very stigmatized because many people say to me like you don't need you shouldn't be despairing look at you you have everything and I get many letters which I respond to because I think it's very valid that people are like why are you despairing like give me a break you you don't you don't and I say I was born with this like I deserve to be despairing. Like I was born with my chemical makeup being despairing. And the fact that I've achieved material success has nothing to do with my chemical makeup. Like, I'm sorry. I wish it did. I wish it just made me happy. But it took a lot more than that. And I feel we all deserve our despair. I think it's important not to get caught in the comparison trap or game. Even in that respect, everybody has has some degree where they've experienced little trauma, big trauma, whether you have a mental affliction or not, you've experienced pain and suffering and it may look different from mine. It doesn't mean it's worse or better. We're all struggling with something. If we could meet in that place and see our humanity and share in our story, we learn from each other and we give each other that meaning. And ultimately I think we find that joy. And I, and I just love that story because I, I feel the joy in that story. So yeah, Melissa, oh my goodness. You know, I, I want people to buy your book and I'm, I'm going to, in just a moment, want you to share where they can reach out and get lifelines, but it's time for rapid fire. So okay. rapid fire, we're going to transition a little bit here, just a few big life questions. So you said you love tea. I love tea as well. So I don't have my cup of tea, but I'm going to imagine that I have my favorite cup. I let's say cafe mojo. We're hanging out in a Greek cafe and we're just like philosophizing, right? We're talking about big life questions. And I have a few that I'm going to ask whatever word or phrase comes to mind. Like there's no pressure. If you, if nothing comes up, that is an answer too. 
So okay. um, all fun and games here, just a little play. Uh, so rapid fire question number one, what do you believe? Oh gosh, I believe we're all pure love inside. Love that. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for the ability to transform darkness into light through creativity. What sustains you? Wow. My practice, yeah, which is self-care, my tools, and my passions in my play. I love that. You are on Mindful Living with Athea Davis, so I love to ask all my guests on the show. Melissa, what does mindful living mean to you? Mindful living means that I am actually in my heart experiencing life in this very moment and not allowing my head to bring me down in any form or fashion. Yes. I love that. I love that. <laughs> that to me is like the awesome sauce where you're letting your spark really um, shine its light, you know, in the world. Uh, all right. Lifelines. I want people to connect with the book. Where can they get it? Um, share your website, social media, all the things. Sure. So we're at lifelines.com and we have all these free workshops. Like tonight I'm even doing, I'm doing one every, we do them all the time, every, every day and night and they're all free lifelines.com and the book is available at all uh, booksellers, you know, yes. Amazon, Barnes and Noble books, a million, all the, um, all the, the book places and um, gosh, social media is at seek lifelines. Um, I have a Facebook, Melissa Bernstein. Um, and oh, and we have a private Facebook group that you can get to from our website that's really beautiful. It, the, the folks on it are so soulful and they support each other through thick and thin. It's really a, a wonderful, uh, soulful place to, be, to go. I love it. I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. And Melissa, it's been such a pleasure, a joy having you on this show. I am so grateful for you sharing your journey, for your creative work, for you sharing uh, your heart and soul in your book, Lifelines, and mm -hmm. making the impact by, by being authentic and sharing your story. So thank you so much for your insights and information wisdom on the show today. Thank you. I know from all the times I've listened to you that your audience is going to resonate with this. So that's why I'm so thankful for you for spreading our, our message through your wonderful listeners. Thank you, Melissa. Hey there, and welcome back to the other side of my chat with Melissa Bernstein. You have been listening to episode 102, Lifelines, Struggling with Anxiety and Depression, here on Mindful Living with Athea Davis. If you enjoyed this episode, you gained value out of it and out of our conversation, I would so appreciate and love if you shared this episode with others because that's what it's about, right? Like we share our stories, we share things that provided value and inspiration and empowerment, insight, wisdom, all the things, and let's share the mindful living love. So you can take a screenshot and share this on your favorite social media platform. Tag me at Athea Davis and tag Melissa Bernstein. I will put those links in the show notes. 
You can also just copy the link on your favorite listening platform and share it with others in your inner circle. And I would so appreciate if you really do love this episode and any other episodes to give me a rate and review. It really helps me know that you appreciate the content that I bring your way, that you find it valuable and informative. And if you would love to hear something else or, you know, whatever's on your mind, you guys, I love it. The, the good, bad, and the ugly would love for you to uh, rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you listen. I'm not sure if you can live, um, leave reviews on Spotify, but you definitely can on iTunes. And I would also love if you subscribe to the show so you can always get the updates and know when a new episode comes out and give it a listen. So I hope you're doing well. I, I know, as I said in the intro, I think I should know this by now, but I always turn my, my phone on airplane mode so I don't get any weird phone sounds when I'm recording. But as I was recording this and knowing I wanted this episode to come out in May, I was thinking just how hard it is for, you know, parents and educators, particularly, uh, you know, with their own mental and emotional health, as we just have navigated an unprecedented year with so many pressures and obligations and, uh, you know, lightning fast adaptation to technology and having more on our plate than we ever thought we could imagine to have in all these roles. And it's been quite a journey. I have struggled personally for sure. And if you are in that struggle, please know that you're not alone. But I do think May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I want you to know that if you do have, if you are struggling, to reach out and let me know, uh, you know, let your friends know, let let these conversations, or I should say allow these conversations to enter your heart and mind space to fill you up from the inside out and know that you have friends, uh, you know, far and wide that struggle with some of these issues as well. And, and I hope that some of their wisdom and the things that they've took on or have taken on, like Melissa has shared with us in today's episode, uh, will inspire you to take a look at what you're doing, how you can shift things around. Maybe you haven't tried anything she's, you know, suggested and what she's doing in her own life. Maybe you feel inspired to take it on and make some changes. And I am voting your victory, uh, you know, to do that because life is hard. We all have hard things and I know that some of the things that she and I talked about today can make a massive difference in your overall health and well-being. And clearly they've made a massive difference in Melissa's mental health. And so grateful that she came on to share her journey and to talk about her book and her online uh, resource center called Lifelines. All right. I'm loving you. Voting your victory. You know, I want you to tune into and spread the awesome sauce. You know, that special spark that we all have on the inside. I want you to tune in and spread the awesome sauce here, there, and everywhere. And until next time, um, I just, you know, just want you to keep spreading that awesome sauce. So love you, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Living Podcast with me, your host, Thea Davis. 
Think of me as your extra sparkly, good vibes, and no-nonsense guide, reminding you to take intentional action and choose to be the person today you want to become tomorrow. The world needs your sparkle, your joy, your gifts in action. Speaking of, I have a free gift for all my podcast listeners. Go now and subscribe to my email list and get your free health and wellness guide, awesome sauce insights at soulsenseyoga.com. And take a moment to rate and review my podcast on iTunes or wherever you may find yourself listening to Mindful Living with Athea Davis. I truly appreciate your time and feedback so I can continue to deliver valuable content to each of you. Until next time, have an awesome sauce day, friends.